This is a content warning. This episode contains references to suicide. Hello and welcome to Scintillating Stories. In this show we read short writings by a variety of authors. Today we're reading some poetry by Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes, two authors who were married from 1956 to 1963. Sylvia specialised in portraying common objects as haunting concepts. Her writing is witty and cuts to the heart of problems and paved the way for future poets to use honest expression of emotions, trauma and identity in their work. She frequently used her writings to explore and portray her clinical depression. She completed suicide when she was 30. Some of her most well-regarded poems were published post-mortem. Sylvia openly discussed her complicated feelings about her husband, Ted Hughes. Ted was a translator and children's author, as well as a poet. One of his most well-known children's books is The Iron Giant, which was adapted to film by Brad Bird. Nature and animals were recurring themes in his poetry, along with mythology and folklore. He was well known for combining harsh and cynical sentiments with seemingly simplistic verse, He was the Poet Laureate from 1984 to 1998. Sylvia and Ted had a very difficult relationship, and there is much speculation about who wronged who and to what extent. While this is an important discussion, in this show we will let their poetry speak for itself. As author Jeanette Winterson said, Whatever the truth of that love affair, it began with poetry. Hughes, at the end of his life, chose to return it there. Plath, I think, would have recognised that. The Applicant First, are you our sort of person? Do you wear a glass eye, false teeth or a crutch, a brace or a hook, rubber breasts or a rubber crotch, stitches to show something's missing? No? Then how can we give you a thing? Stop crying. Open your hand. Empty. Here is a hand. To fill it and willing to bring teacups and roll away headaches, to do whatever you tell it. Will you marry it? It is guaranteed to thumb shut your eyes at the end, to dissolve of sorrow. We make new stock from the salt. I notice that you're stark naked. How about this suit? black and stiff, but not a bad fit. Will you marry it? It is waterproof, shatterproof, proof against fire and bombs through the roof. Believe me, they'll bury you in it. Now your head. Excuse me, it is empty. I have the ticket for that. Come here, sweetie, out of the closet. Well, what do you think of that? Naked as a paper to start— But in twenty-five years she'll be silver, in fifty gold, a living doll everywhere you look. It can sew, it can cook, it can talk, talk, talk. It works. There is nothing wrong with it. You have a hole. It's a poultice. You have an eye. It's an image. My boy, it's your last resort. Will you marry it? Marry it? Marry it? A modest proposal. 
There is no better way to know us than as two wolves come separately to a wood. Now neither is able to sleep, even at a distance, distracted by the soft, competing pulse of the other, not able to hunt, at every step looking back and sideways, wearying to listen for the other's slavering rush. Neither can make die the painful burning of the coal in its heart till the other's body and the whole wood is its own. Then it might sob contentment towards the moon. Each in a thicket, rage hoarse in its labouring chest after a skirmish, licks the rents in its hide, eyes brighter than is natural under the leaves, where the wren, peeping round a leaf, shrieks out to see a chink so terrifyingly open onto the red smelting of hatred as each pictures a mad final satisfaction. Suddenly they duck and peer, and there, rides by the great lord from hunting, his embroidered cloak floats, the tail of his horse paws, and at his stirrup the two great-eyed greyhounds that day after day bring down the towering stag, leap like one, making delighted sounds. The Swarm Somebody is shooting at something in our town, a dull pom, pom in the Sunday street. Jealousy can open the blood. It can make black roses. Who are they shooting at? It is you the knives are out for. At Waterloo, Waterloo, Napoleon, the hump of Elba on your short back, and the snow marshalling its brilliant cutlery, mass after mass, saying, shh, shh. These are chess people you play with. Still figures of ivory, the mud squirms with throats, stepping stones for French boot soles, the gilt and pink domes of Russia melt and float off. In the furnace of greed, clouds, clouds, so the swarm balls and deserts, seventy feet up in a black pine tree. It must be shot down. Pom, pom. So dumb, it thinks bullets are thunder. It thinks they are the voice of God, condoning the beak, the claw, the grin of the dog, yellow haunching, a pack dog, grinning over its bone of ivory. Like the pack. The pack. Like everybody. The bees have gone so far, seventy feet high, Russia, Poland and Germany, the mild hills, the same old magenta fields shrunk to a penny, spun into a river. The river crossed. The bees argue in their black ball, a flying hedgehog, all prickles. The man with grey hands stands under the honeycomb of their dream, the hived station where the trains faithful to their steel arcs. Leave and arrive, and there is no end to the country. Pom, pom, they fall, dismembered to a tod of ivory. So much for the charioteers, the outriders, the great army, the red tatter, Napoleon. The last badge of victory. The swarm is knocked into the cocked straw hat. Elba, Elba, bleb on the sand. The white busts of marshals, admirals, generals worming themselves into niches. How instructive this is. The dumb, banded bodies walking the plank draped with Mother France's upholstery into a new mausoleum, an ivory palace, a crotch pine. The man with grey hands smiles, the smile of a man of business, intensely practical. They are not hands at all, but asbestos receptacles. Pom, pom. 
They would have killed me. The stings big as drawing pins. It seems bees have a notion of honour, a black, intractable mind. Napoleon is pleased. He is pleased with everything. Oh, Europe. Oh, ton of honey. The Hawk in the Rain I drown in the drumming ploughland. I drag up heel after heel from the swallowing of the earth's mouth, from clay that clutches my each step to the ankle with the habit of the dogged grave. But the hawk effortlessly at height hangs his still eye. His wings hold all creation in a weightless quiet, steady as a hallucination in the steaming air, while banging wind kills these stubborn hedges. Thumbs my eyes, throws my breath, tackles my heart, and rain hacks my head to the bone. The hawk hangs, the diamond point of will that pole stars the sea drowners endurance, and I bloodily grabbed day's last moment counting morsel in the earth's mouth, strain towards the master fulcrum of violence where the hawk hangs still, that maybe in his own time meets the weather. Coming the wrong way, suffers the air, hurled upside down, fall from his eye, the ponderous shires crash on him, the horizon trap him, the round angelic eye smashed, mix his heart blood with the mire of the land. Ariel Stasis in the darkness, then the substances blue, pour of tor in distances, God's lioness, how one we grow, pivot of heels and knees. The furrow splits and passes, sister to the brown arc of the neck I cannot catch. Black, sweet blood, mouthfuls, shadows. Something else hauls me through the air, thighs, hair, flakes from my heels. White Godiva I unpeel, dead hands, dead stringencies. And now I foam to wheat, a glitter of seas. The child's cry melts in the wall, and I am the arrow. The dew that flies, suicidal, at one with the drive into the red eye. The cauldron of morning. The Horses I've climbed through woods in the hour before dawn dark, evil air, a frost-making stillness. Not a leaf, not a bird, a world cast in frost. I came out above the wood where my breath left tortuous statues in the iron light, but the valleys were draining the darkness, till the moorline blackening dregs of the brightening grey halved the sky ahead, and I saw the horses huge in the dense grey, ten together, megalith still. They breathed, making no move, with draped manes and tilted hind hooves, making no sound. I passed. Not one snorted or jerked its head, grey, silent fragments of a grey, silent world. I listened in emptiness on the moor ridge, the curlew's tear turned its edge on the silence. Slowly, detail leafed from the darkness. Then the sun, orange, red, red, erupted. 
silently and splitting to its core, tore and flung, cloud shook the gulf open, showed blue and the big planets hanging. I turned, stumbling in the fever of a dream, down towards the dark woods from the kindling tops and came to the horses. There still they stood, but now steaming and glistening under the flow of light, their draped stone manes, their tilted hind hooves stirring under a thaw while all around them the frost showed its fires. But still they made no sound. Not one snorted or stamped. Their hung heads patient as the horizons high over the valleys in the red levelling rays. In the din of the crowded streets, going among the years, the faces. May I still meet my memory in so lonely a place. Between the streams and the red clouds, hearing curlews, hearing the horizons endure. Edge. The woman is perfected. Her dead body wears the smile of accomplishment. The illusion of a Greek necessity flows in the scrolls of her toga. Her bare feet seem to be saying, We've come so far. It's over. Each dead child coiled, a white serpent, one at each little pitcher of milk, now empty. She's folded them back into her body as petals of a rose close when the garden stiffens and odours bleed from the sweet, deep throats of the night flower. The moon has nothing to be sad about, staring from her hood of bone. She's used to this sort of thing. Her blacks crackle and drag. The Rabbit Catcher It was May. How had it started? What had bared our edges? What quirky twist of the moon's blade had set us so early in the day bleeding each other? What had I done? I somehow misunderstood. Inaccessible in your debunk fury. Babies hurled into the car. You drove. We surely had been intending a day's outing. Somewhere on the coast. An exploration. So you started driving. What I remember is thinking, she'll do something crazy, and I ripped the door open and jumped in beside you. So we drove west, west, Cornish lanes, as I remember, a simmering truce as you stared with iron in your face into some remote thunderscape of some unworldly war. I simply trod accompaniment, carried babies, waited for you to come back to nature. We tried to find the coast. You raged against our English private greed of fencing off all coastal approaches, hiding the sea from roads, from all inland. You despised England's grubby edges when you got there. That day belonged to the Furies. I searched the map to penetrate the farms and private kingdoms. Finally, a gateway. It was a fresh day, full of May. Somewhere I'd brought food. We crossed a field and came to the open, blue push of the sea wind. A gorse cliff, brambly, oak-packed combs. We found an eerie hollow just under the cliff top. It seemed perfect to me. Feeding babies. Your Germanic scowl, edged like a helmet, would not translate itself. 
I sat, baffled. I was a fly outside on the window pane of my own domestic drama. You refused to lie there, being indolent. You hated it. That flat, draughty plate was not an ocean. You had to be away, and you went. And I trailed after, like a dog, along the cliff-top field edge, over a wind-matted oak wood. And I found a snare. Copper wire gleam, brown cord, human contrivance, sitting new set. Without a word, you tore it up and threw it into the trees. I was aghast. Faithful to my country gods, I saw the sanctity of a trapline desecrated. You saw blunt fingers, blood in the cuticles clamped around a blue mug. I saw country poverty, raising a penny, filling a Sunday stew pot. You saw baby-eyed, strangled innocence. I saw sacred ancient custom. You saw snare after snare and went ahead, riving them up from their roots and flinging them down the wood. I saw you ripping up precarious, precious saplings of my heritage, hard-won concessions from the hangings and the transportations, to live off the land. You cried, murderers! You were weeping with a rage that cared nothing for rabbits. You were locked in some chamber, gasping for oxygen, where I could not find you, or really hear you, let alone understand you. In those snares, you'd caught something. Had you caught something in me? Nocturnal and unknown to me. Or was it your doomed self, your tortured, crying, suffocating self? Whichever, those terrible, hypersensitive fingers of your verse closed around it and felt it alive. The poems, like smoking entrails, came soft into your hands. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject that you'd like us to cover, then contact us through our Facebook page or Twitter, and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production.